Hey, Susan here. Thank you for listening. I spoke with Tanya Sue, and she is the founder of Dark City Light, which is a suicide prevention outreach. To put things into perspective, uh, according to statistics, suicide rates are at a 30-year high uh, with a jump of 63% and 43% in men and women aged 45 to 64. In general, 13 suicides per 100,000 in the population. And for veterans, that number is 29.5 per 100,000. After editing this episode, you know, it it really it makes you think about a lot of stuff. Um, a lot of my own past issues uh, in the dark places and having lost some friends to suicide. Um, you know, just all the stuff. It's a tough planet. And I think Tanya Sue is a very brave woman. She came on the show and she talked about her depression and some of her history and her suicide attempt. She talked about her foundation and what, what she hopes to accomplish over the next few years. It was great. It's a great episode. And I, I really I hope you listen through the whole thing. And uh, if you or someone you know is struggling with depression, suicidal thoughts, suicide hotline number is... 1-800-273-8255. There's also, if you don't feel like talking to a person, you know, in a conversation, there's a text line. You can text the word GO to 741741. Uh, If it's an emergency, of course, you can always dial 911. Uh, There's hopeline.com. Just uh, all I can say is you are loved, and if you need help, please ask for help. If you know somebody that needs help, please reach out, get them help. So, uh, yeah, I mean, this is important, people. I think it's important, so hopefully you do too. I'll stop babbling as I often tend to do when it's midnight. And uh, let you take a listen to Tanya Sue on Hey Human Podcast. Again, thank you so much for listening. So how are you doing? I am doing wonderful. How about you? Oh, yeah, I'm trucking along. I really wanted to have you on uh, Hey Human for a couple different reasons. One, uh, to talk about the, the work you do, um, your outreach that you do, and uh, also to talk about your issues with depression, what you've experienced with depression, and um, I don't know, have you, did you, did you say you had addiction issues as well, or? Um, I didn't have addiction issues, I just, I mean, I think it's more with people having addiction issues, but um, yeah. with meds, it was never such a, I wasn't on them long enough to be addicted to oh, okay. them, but I did use them as a uh, numbing source okay. for so, a while, so I, guess, I mean, I guess it, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, we'll start from the beginning. You mean kind of how, like, when I started with the depression, kind of yeah, stuff like that? Yeah, sure, yeah. Okay, well, I was born in a very small town called Norway, Michigan. Okay. Um, the upper part of Michigan. So we had about population... UP! Say yeah to the UPA. Hannah knows that. <laughs> Same. Um, and so it was less than 2,000 people in my town. And it was kind of funny because... My family, we all lived next to each other. I'd ride my bike to my grandma's. Across the field was my aunt's. Across the dirt road was my other aunt's. So we all lived near each other. Wow. And then down the road was our family farm, a dairy farm my great-grandfather had started. Anyway, so 
Um, let's see, from young on. So from young on, I was the baby of the family of two older brothers. And I think, I mean, like, I guess I can think that depression really started for me. I, it was my whole life. But I remember in third grade telling my dad when I was laying in bed that I didn't want to wake up the next day. Third grade? Yeah. Wow. I can remember that because I used to journal a lot. I didn't understand exactly, to be honest, like what was going on and why I felt like I did. Um, I remember in a lot of my, my diaries and stuff, I my mom and I didn't get along a lot. And it's because she suffers with depression, but she didn't want to deal with it. Um, just, you know, we all deal differently. So she would get angry and not speak to me for like two weeks at a time. And so I would write in my diary, I hope I'll die so my mom feels bad for ignoring me. I mean, these were things that I would write and I like look back and I'm like, oh my goodness, how can someone like that age think that? But like, I didn't understand what was going on. Or like at Christmas time, my parents, you know, they were very generous to us. We'd get what we want, but I always had this feeling inside of, of just, I don't even know how to explain it, but my, you know, I, I would get told you're ungrateful. How can you act this way when you've gotten everything? And that made me hate myself even more because I couldn't figure out. It's not like something was just making me f feel this emotion or this way. I couldn't figure it out. I mean, yeah, you know, I dealt with like weight issues and kind of getting teased and stuff. But I always put on a good face at school and was there for everybody. You know, I remember going to school crying on the way, thinking about like my mom not talking to me or us getting in fights and then getting to school and having to be just, you know, happy, whatever. Holly go lightly. <laughs> yes, just nobody would ever know. I mean, um, so that was third grade. Now, I want to say, I think my parents got me help after that, but in a small town, it's hard to find. You know, when you see a therapist, it's like, it's almost like dating. You have to find somebody you connect with. I agree. So it's like you get put with someone, and then when you only have two options, it's like, well, okay. So, yay. Yeah. So, and I think at that age, I wasn't sure. I, I remember my grandma would cry, call my mom and stuff, like crying on the phone because she went through a divorce with her husband because she suffered with depression and had, I didn't realize at the time, but she was, you know, hospitalized quite a few times for suicidal thoughts. Not that she ever was going to, but that she knew she was depressed. So she put herself in just to kind of Protected. Yes, yeah. get, get back up. See, so I didn't understand at the time that's kind of what she was dealing with, uh -huh. but I always had a connection. So I'm Tanya Sue and she's Grandma Sue. Okay. So I'm Little Sue, Big Sue. <laughs> Did your mom know that your grandmother was having these issues? Yes, and that's my mom would get mad at my grandma when she'd call her crying because, again, my mom just had so much anger towards her father, my grandma's husband, and hated him for how he treated her mom that she would get mad at my grandma for feeling bad over him. You see, she was yeah, trying to protect my grandma. Yeah. So anyway, so yes, my mom did know my grandma was suffering, but again, my mom does, didn't deal with depression the same way as like my grandma and I do, or like she didn't want to feel her emotions. If she did, she would get angry. That was, she went that way and I would turn more inward and be. Did your mom self-medicate to step she away actually, She actually never really did and she's a nurse. But she never really self-medicated. She didn't want to admit that I think she had the issue. Okay. And it's, 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 depression's so vilified. Right. In general. I mean... I think everybody, a lot of people... I mean, I think she was in that world where she's like, I'm a nurse and I can't have... I don't know. Maybe that... I, I don't... I still this day still. I mean, I think she realizes she has it now, but she... 
she won't talk about it. She'll be like, yeah, I'll take, you know, I'll take a pill or something if it, if it, I don't know. She's just really weird about it. She won't, like, if me and my grandma were on the exact same pill, like, my her Lexapro. And it's, but it's, I don't know, it's just weird. Like, my mom will just cut it off. You can't really talk to her about it. Is Lexapro an antidepressant? Huh? Is that an antidepressant? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lexapro's an antidepressant, yeah. So, that's the one that I'll, I don't go off of. I have noticed when I have in the past is when I, I legitly cannot control my my thoughts. My It's like, I feel, just like a few weeks ago, I had run out. I could feel my mood. I was very emotional. I was feeling angry. I It's like the suicidal thoughts come up, and it's to a point where you I can't, it's so hard to control it. Mm-hmm. So it really definitely, for me, it is like a chemical imbalance without that pill. Now, is this something that progresses? So you're a, you're a kid, a little kid. I mean, right. Third, third, fourth grade. And that's a heavy burden for right. anyone, let alone a child. Yeah. And you're starting to say something's not right here. Mom and dad, something's not right here. Did your dad, did he help out? Or? Yeah, I mean, so when I said that, they did get me, they put me with a counselor, I believe, in my small town. And it was, I think they would take me out of school, too, to go to, to the counselor. It was in, in a town over from us. But, um... Yeah, I did see a therapist, but to be honest, I, d- I don't remember a lot about it or the teachings or anything, like if she really helped me or not. I don't mm. even remember if it was a he or she. That's how bad <laughs> bad <laughs> that is. Little. I know. I mean, I would go to the therapist, too, in middle school. I remember that. You know how they had the school counselors. And that would help. But middle school was definitely probably one of the hardest times for me. I think it's just, ooh, I don't know, for a lot of... <laughs> I hated middle school yeah, years. I hated that shit. Yeah. Were you already on medication by the time you hit middle school? I want to I say I was. I don't think I was on Lexapro. I don't think we had found my fit yet. And I honestly don't... I don't know, because my mom's so kind of not for medication. You know, she doesn't want yeah. drugging. Like, she sees that in, you know, in her profession, and she didn't want that. I think I must have been on one pill or something. I mean, I just can't remember what it was. Yeah. But yeah, so I went through middle school. High school was kind of like a new start. But I was I was always depressed. I was always trying to fix the fighting between my parents, okay? Mm-hmm. I was always the one wanting to fix things. And, well, Dad, Mom didn't mean to get angry like that. And Yeah, Miss Child Syndrome. Oh, I know. Like, yeah. I would wor- be worried about divorce. Like, I don't want two Christmases. And, and then my brother, Ryan, who was the middle child, who I truly believe suffers from it, too. He's very moody. He's a lot like my mom. But... He was so, so mean. I feel bad like I'm bashing my family. I do love them. I mean, we've grown. But, like, my brother was just a very moody, always calling me fat, never, no one will like you, just stuff like that. Mean. And Yeah. And I remember when I started therapy here a few years ago, part of it was Ryan is who I had to, I had to go back and try to forgive him and my mom because, like, half those thoughts engraved in my head. I mean, granted, yes, I've believed them over time, but it was from... You know him, but yeah. So I went to high school. High school was um, it was better. It, I mean, I still same thing. I'd go to school after arguing with my mom. She'd always get mad at me before piano recitals or the musical, just big events. That's what I've known. You know, she wouldn't talk to me. She'd still come, but it was that weird like, you know, if someone's upset with you and you're you're going to go perform a solo. Yeah, it's a I mean, form of abuse that's passive aggressive. Yes, yeah. and I just I. It, I would I feel like shit. I just, you know. Were you able to rationalize that? Your mother's behavior toward you no. was her own stuff? No. I mean, you were yeah. high school. I, I mean, know. not even in high school. Yeah. No, because I would just get mad. Well, high and, school's not really the time for rational yeah. thought anyway. Hormones. No, I mean, yeah, even like in middle school, I think I remember like 
running away into the woods and just sitting out there waiting to see if my mom would come look for me. It was almost like I just, I, I just wanted the attention and her to be like, you know, let's talk this out or I don't know, something, something sure. you know, just something, but it never, well, describe, uh, do you, re- do you remember sort of when this, were they mood swings, I guess is the question, or were they I mean, sort of constant depression? Right, so it was kind of a constant, I mean, I know big, a bit, big things when, when, um, changes would happen, of course, that's a big trigger for a lot of it, you know, I think it was just, you know, it would just hit you and people would be like, well, what's wrong? And I'd say, well, I, I don't, you know, I don't even know. I'm, I'm worrying excessively. This is a terror. Like the worry was awful. I mean, yeah. and you know, my mom would say, well, don't worry. It's like, and I've learned, I've learned nowadays that like, you can't tell your mind to not think something it's going to, you can't, yeah. you, you know, you can't say opposite, whatever to it. So, so I would try to not to worry, but I started to really beat myself up. And it was finally me being the bully, I think, because I was like, you shouldn't feel this way. You're being selfish. You know, you have a good life. You know, your parents, just things like that. That's really yeah. such a profound thing to say, that it was you being the bully. That you, you... But this is almost like looking back now. I was like, ooh, I was really the one doing it, you know. Well, you learned it from other people, I'm sure. Right, then but then I... Your self-worth was... Yeah something that I've always hated how I look I mean even to this day I still struggle with like weight like it'll be I'll be doing you know I just I too always too chubby is what I feel that's always like I'm too big my brothers were very thin tall and thin and I was always like oh I'm the chubby child of the family that's like what I would say you know would say and even to this day sometimes I really have to be careful of that because I'll get stuck if I'm in a lower spot or if I'm it's that time of the month or, you know, anything sure. like that. Like, Absolutely. I will start feeling it. And, like, and this is jumping, but when I speak on, like, suicide awareness is when I get attacked bad, like, health-wise, emotional. Attacked by your, by or, your Just, like, body. by my, by, yeah, by my, like, flesh, by my, my thoughts. It's, like, it brings back all these old thoughts. And it's almost, like, to me, I look at it as, as like, the enemy or the, the bad stuff just trying to keep me from fulfilling my destiny and what I need to be doing mm-hmm. but so I mean I don't know so call high school I graduated and of course I was kind of freaked I, I mean you know what do you do <laughs> it's like cool college now I graduated now the real world which my brothers told me was a living hell <laughs> to get started so I'm like yay um I was nannying in Chicago for three summers in a row and be, you know during college in my final year I graduated nannied and then I was like you know what I'm gonna move to Nashville. Now I moved to Nashville because I, my freshman year of college, my best friend and I did a show called Can You Duet down here. We just randomly auditioned. Like I was like, hey Jason, we've sung together our whole life. Let's go do this. We have a month off of college for uh, break. And so we came down here and we actually made it to the semifinals. So that's wow. what kind of gave me the taste of Nashville. So I was like, cool. I like it. I came back the year later just to work with a producer and met a family. So come senior year, I stayed in touch with the producer, the family. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to move to Nashville. And they allowed me to live with them the first few months. Oh, that's nice. So that, yeah, that was hard. I mean, very emotional. Right there was another change. So I was depressed, I so, would say. Uh, just not to, I don't mean to interrupt, but I'm curious, before we go too far through the, the life. Yeah. Um, when you were in college, for example, or even at any of these times. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people don't understand depression. They don't get it, and so they just think, "Well, why don't you just suck it up and play your," you know what right. I mean? But I mean, 
did, there were there periods of time where you sort of not even I don't even want to get up in the morning. I don't yeah, even want to. Yeah, yeah. Actually, this made me. I just remembered. I can totally picture myself sitting in my dorm, like outside the room on one of the steps, going up to another level. And I was telling my mom, I was like, you know, mom, I this was freshman year, right? Like, and I was just like, I just want to go to sleep and not wake up. That's what I feel. Uh, I don't know if you know. And again, I got into a psychiatrist that my grandma had saw because my grandma lived in Green Bay where I was going to school, my grandma Sue. But I remember freshman year, I just, man, it was, I don't know, it was hard. I, you know, again, my self-worth was low, so I didn't feel like I fit in. Um, I honestly, I never got into drinking, thank God. Thank goodness I've never really liked drinking because otherwise that probably would have been like a vice of mine. But I just wanted to sleep. Um, I still kept my grades up. You know, despite being depressed, I still was an overachiever, I feel, which is interesting because a lot of times some people get so depressed, you know, they can't function. I overate, so I put on a lot of weight my freshman year. I will say that much. But I also think it was like, it's not the freshman 15. I was like the freshman 30, I always called it. <laughs> but Stress eating. Or yeah, I mean, that's what you did. And I did that. Um, I don't know. It's hard. It's, it's, you know, it's just hard in general to to start college I think but to have depression on top of it and I'm not saying that as like a victim but it's just it's double it's sure like I, I don't know well, college is very stressful too it's a different kind of stress than yeah elementary and junior high and high school which has got its own pleasant right. hell but college which you know is great because you get to think for yourself finally yeah. and it's there's a lot of activity and you know you actually get to use your intellect and no one's telling you that what you're thinking is wrong, like they do in high school right. junior high. Right. But it's very competitive, super right. stressful. You have a lot of a workload, all that stuff. So I mean, it makes sense that it would compound yeah. what you were feeling. Did Did you at all take any measures toward healing and or taking yourself out yeah. of the equation um, at that time? I mean, other than the therapy started. Yeah, therapy? I mean, and I, I was just thinking back, like all my life, you know, I a lot of times I had suicidal ide ideology or how do you say that? ideology ideology yeah. uh -huh. so going back to kind of backtracking I did think of ways of like I could like die in or like but at that point in time it I was I was still too afraid to do it myself you know I would think of ways like if I don't know I wanted to die but then I was afraid to die I, I don't know so I, I went through that but like in college you mean sort of like death by a cop or drive off a or, cliff and yeah or like or like cliff. some yeah like yeah. you know things like that or sure. like i remember i i hate needles and i hate be I, I even spell it all b-l-o-o-d because i hate i get oh. so squeamish even thinking about it okay but i remember kind of cutting a little bit like on my stomach but it didn't give me it didn't thank goodness again that i didn't get that you know, addiction to wanting to do that to feel better. But the kind of, I did the kind teeter of and totter back and forth between eating and watching what I ate and, you know, my whole life with the whole eating thing. Okay. I binged eat. I ate too much in middle school, high school. I was doing every diet plan possible. College started. I gained weight. And that depresses you, too. You know, when you come home freshman year and you're like, oh, my gosh. You're just very critical of yourself. Um, so, I mean, I made friends. I made good friends. But throughout college, of course, I had, I don't know, it, like something could trigger it or something couldn't trigger it. Sometimes I just, it was the worst when you can't say why you feel so bad. Because then people are like, well, even, like my mother would say, well, you have a great life. Just get over it. 
or you should be happy. You're doing all this, and you're going to a, this expensive college, and if I ever did anything, I'd feel guilty. Like, oh my God, what would my mom think? You see, I always had, she had so much power over me that I allowed. Yeah. And when I looked back in therapy, I realized my mom always thought she was fat. Uh, my mom, you know, didn't. It, and we definitely absorb our parents' right. issues, I think, as children. They, they give those. Yes, they do. Lovely and my grandma Sue thought the us. exact same thing about herself, always dieting, always thinking she was mm-hmm. big. So it was like this family thing. But yeah, freshman year of college was really rough for me because, um, I, like I said, I would overeat. That was my vice for sure that year, overeating. Like sweets or just any sure. comfort food. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, so I always, I did suffer. So I did go to therapy, I think, my freshman and sophomore year. I had pretty good friends all throughout the rest of college. So, you know, they'd understand or cheer me up or just things like that. Did you so, have other friends that were dealing with depression that you could You know, I, I, it's funny because I never even really talked about it a lot in school. I mean, maybe with some, like, I felt like I was the counselor for everybody. Everybody would call me for relationship advice, and I'm always the single one. And it's like, what the hell is wrong? <laughs> with this picture but like life we're always good at giving advice to others Absolutely. and not to ourselves yeah. so I mean I would have people come to me that were down and stuff and you know I was very empathetic and you know could relate with them and would share things with them if they you know wanted you know to not feel alone you know I didn't want anybody to ever feel alone yet I think I've always felt so lonely in my life after college I graduated and I was I was excited about moving to Nashville because then I was proud of myself because I was taking this big leap of moving like 14 hours away from home about a month into it I met a guy that this family had knew and he was like the first love of my life and everything and looking back I realized what I did was I by starting to date this guy I hid all my issues like in the relationship Mm. okay so because I had him what do you mean by that exactly like I just it's almost like I just I thought that being with this person, my life was all better now. Like, as long as I had somebody liking me. But what I actually did was become codependent on somebody. Mm-hmm. So when I when I got with um, Colton, I was like, oh, life's great now because I have a boyfriend. Because I had always wanted one and I didn't have one. And again, there's that self-worth of thinking, oh, if somebody likes me, then I'm going, then this means, yeah. I don't, do you know what I mean? Does I that do make sense? absolutely makes sense. Of course. But yet, I'm one to preach, like, oh, don't, you know, a man's not worth everything, or whatever. Ah, well, the, like, as you said a minute ago, the advice we give to others is primo advice. <laughs> we yeah, give I away know. our best like, advice. Shit. I was like, oh. <laughs> It's a very hard to look oneself in the mirror and have all the answers. Not right. It's very difficult. It's, it takes a lifetime. Yeah. So that relationship, <laughs> that it was kind of literally a legitly a fucked up relationship looking I mean and it just it was such a there's so much anxiety in the relationship it was just so it was I don't know I started to having to like do stuff to make him happy and then if he was happy I was happy even if I really wasn't happy because of what I had to do does that make sense it does sure or something but this whole time I I literally remember driving in the car crying and I wanted to call my dad and just say so is this what relationships are like but I didn't either because I didn't I, I couldn't live without him either. Mm-hmm. So I was in this, I was very depressed. I was in a, you know, I was, I got sick a few times, lost, lost my job. I was just in a downward spiral and we were just fighting all the time. And you were still dealing with depression this whole time. Yes. Even though you were exactly. in a loving, quote unquote. Right. Even though I was in a relationship and the relationship was 
the end all to solving problems. <laughs> I knew I could, you know, it's, this is so sickening sounding, but it's like I knew I could say like to him, I just want to die, and he would be like, no, that's not right. You know, that was almost like a attention getter, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to remember a lot of the relationship because that to kind keep, of... You mean to keep the relationship Yeah, going, maybe, yeah. Make, make him feel guilty, maybe? Yeah, yeah maybe. Uh-huh. And it wasn't like... I, w- I never said, like, if you leave me, I'm going to kill myself. I never said that, but it was just like... We get in fights. I would drive away and just be. It just was. It was. Just, it just was crazy. Mm-hmm. It was just bad. It was toxic. Both of us. Now, were you in therapy during this time? No, okay. and I wasn't because my therapy. It was your therapy. My therapy was a relationship. Yeah. Okay. Made life better. I may have already asked you that. I probably just repeated myself. I don't know. No, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> when wasn't I in therapy? Every <laughs> <laughs> few of my hey, life. I spent many years. Uh, in therapy. Right and it's, yeah. It's the best. Oh, I agree. Now, yeah. So I went to work and I got fired because this, this is such a long story, but the owner legitly was awful to me. This, this was the second job. Like, I was like, oh my God. Well, so was it your depression, Anna? And you were picking jobs where people were behaving uh, Obviously, maybe, you. yeah. And yeah. I mean, I mean it, but it, this was just, this literally was just I don't like, want to blame everything on depression. I mean, I'm just No, and I, and I don't want to be like that person that's like, oh my gosh, the world was out to get me. But it was really shit. Well, <laughs> this I was do. Like, I think we repeat... I think we repeat situations, people in our lives until we kind of figure out right. that we deserve yeah. Are better we... than that. Yeah, and I mean, it just, that one was awful. Um, and so I went out to the parking lot, called him, finally got a hold of him, and he's like, I'm sorry you lost your job. You don't deserve it. I love you. I'll call you later. And like legitly a minute after that, I get a text from him saying, I'm sorry you lost your job. You don't deserve it, but what stands still stands. And I'm like, what does that mean? And he, he said, we're not together. And he I broke up with you. I, yes, I swear to you. Oh my goodness! I went in shock. I he wouldn't answer. Then of course, I drove home to my apartment in Green Hills at the time. Sat out, sat and went out by the pool, just laid out in the sun. I mean, like I didn't even know I lost my job. I lost the love of my life and this person that I've, you know. What's your crutch? Yeah. Yeah. And, and now he broke up with me, and he's not answering. It's like it's telling you, you yeah. take your heroin, and you suddenly it, yeah. have to stop. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I... In How such, old were you at this point? That would have been... I would. It was 2012, so I'm 27, so I would have been 23, right? Okay. Yeah, because it'll be four years. Okay. So that was, like, that was like the end of July. And, oh my gosh, I don't... I mean, I just... And that began your spiraling. That was a bad spiral. I had already been spiraling down the past few weeks because of him and I not getting along and things were just not... It was just I was trying to force... And were you on medication? Though? Yes. I've, I have always... I think at that point I had been on Lexapro still. Okay. And that one you Which said is works for you. Which always so worked for me. Explain yeah. that for a second just to sidetrack. Um, so when you are seeking some sort of medicine for depression... You, they they try you out on various things. Yeah, and, and it that could, can be quite a roller, roller coaster, yeah. right? I, I was on. I remember in college, I didn't get on like Sprotol Poly College. I want to say because they had put me on Cymbalta, and that one nearly killed me. I mean, I was about to kill myself on that one. That Cymbalta screwed my. It's like when you take a birth control, how it can make you kind of crazy here and there, you know, make you feel like yeah. everybody's talking about you, or you're dep- you're crying all the time, or you don't, you know. And so I remember, like, they, and I hate that process of trying out the pills. Give it two weeks to a month to see if it works. And it's like, you want this instant, you know, like, well, I want this instant, like. I've seen those commercials, and I'm always shocked that it always, for the oh, 12 side effects. And one of them being suicidal Suicide. thoughts. And I'm thinking, doesn't that sort of negate the purpose of the right. drug? And I think at that point, I was probably put on something else, too, to try to offset, you know, one of the side effects. 
12,000 side effects. I don't even know why they call them side effects. They're effects. They're not yeah, the that's side true. Effects. Yeah, they that's true. The it's the problem. Yeah. So now I have had friends who have taken medicine for various things, depression, right. uh, bipolar disorder, yep. things like that. And then they feel better and then they stop taking the medication and then all hell breaks loose. So did you ever do that? The only time I think I stopped taking it was when I was here after I went through all that stuff and then I realized I was losing my mind again so I got back on. But no, normally that's it. that is a thing. That is a true thing like with a lot of bipolar people. They don't like the pills because it numbs them. That's what they, you know, some feelings. With me, I think I wanted anything to make me feel better. Happier. Happier, yeah. Does it just, actually facilitate happiness? I don't, I mean, no, because now after all this therapy and all the stuff I've gone through, what I've realized has helped me the most is the skills, skills over pills. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm against pills. I think there are medications that do work for some people, and some people it doesn't. Some people hate Lexapro. It makes them feel crazy. To me, yeah, maybe it is kind of like my, not my crutch, but it's, it's something that's very important that I, that, um, you know, even my homeopathic won't touch it because it's a, it's, it doesn't, you know, I'm not getting other side effects from it. I'm not, it's just the pill that works for me. When you say skills over pills, could you kind of go into that? Yeah. So after, I mean, skills over pills, after I had OD'd and everything and I got, Whoa. Whoa. Okay. We'll go back. Okay. So we'll go back. I know. I was like, well, this is jumping. Okay. So I'll finish that story. So, so Right after he broke up with me, I started to really lose it. I was telling my mom and everybody on the phone, I just want to die. It wasn't that I was going to kill myself. I was like, I just want to die. I was sleeping. So I had a prescription for Xanax from my doctor in high school just to help me sleep once in a while. But I, my mom was against me taking it all the time because I didn't realize it's an addictive pill. So in college, I had it too, but I would take it maybe once a month. I don't know, like just to sleep. Like I remember take Paul, the edge off. Yeah, to to sleep if I was super stressed. Or, uh, granted, you don't sleep in college, so there's no point, anyways. Yeah, and that actually that drug in particular, I don't know if it's national, but I know so many, and it's not prescribed. They share it amongst their friends and such, and a lot of people on the Xanax. And there's another one that are, a lot of people are on that Zoloft maybe. Or oh yeah, well Xanax is a... Maybe, I, I don't know. But Zoloft is like an antidepressant. Okay. Zo, or Xanax, and then there's like, yeah, the Xanax bars. It's just a lot of people are on that. So I was taking that. So anyways, when shit hit the fan, I had that. Now I kind of had a stockpile, which is a problem. I, that's, you know, like the pack rat with that because I always want to have it just in case. So you were refilling the prescription? Yeah, but then, like, or or I would, re, yeah, I would, you know, I just had this prescription of pills. I don't know why I had, yeah, because yeah, it would sure. refill automatically, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. You have, but, you know, of course it's regulated, yeah. but they don't know if I'm Take taking them not. all or not. Right. So thank God I never got, got any of them illegally, but I had them, and yeah. so... I um, ended up, okay, so two weeks went by. I literally, I remember that night going to the family I moved, moved that I knew when I moved here and I told them what happened. I was just devastated. About to break up. Yes, I was just, I was devastated. The next day I got a friend to get me on a standby flight to Green Bay, Wisconsin to be with my grandma because I was like, oh, I'm not in a good place. Okay, so when I look back, I'm thinking, mom, I kind of was trying to get help. I was trying to help myself a little bit. I saw my grandma again in shock. Everybody was like, my mom was like, well, he just didn't love you, you know? And it's like, okay, that's, that's the worst thing to say because I'm obsessed with this guy. Like I'm 
during this time I was taking Xanax every day I'd wake up and I would or I would take I was up to five taking five at night so it would drop me in my bed I'd wake up how I would many are you supposed to take well probably one. Oh, okay yeah you're so not you're taking five you must have been yeah. out so I would take five at night drop myself in bed I would wake up take another wake up take another sometimes I would just sleep through well I had already started working at the restaurant I work at now I had already I don't I don't even know <laughs> to be honest I don't even know how I was functioning because it, I I don't know. I, I stopped eating. Um, I um, would go out. I remember sitting outside by Fido, the restaurant, and I was sitting there calling places to get help, saying, you know, going on my insurance card, calling, saying, I need to see a therapist. And I probably got turned on by like 20 of them. They're like, well, you have to wait two months. Uh, two you're, months for what? To get in to see a therapist. Um, you're too. Be- because there were too many people waiting. I don't know. No excuse. They just say it. Uh, you're too serious. Call the hotline number. Um, you know, we have a waiting. You have to wait to get in. Uh, so many of them are waiting. Wow. We're not this taking just, any more patients. This is a crisis in America and probably a lot of places, especially America. The mental health issue is. And it's a mess. Oh, it's issue. terrible. It's and it and oh, insurance doesn't cover that. Insurance doesn't cover that. People I call, I don't take insurance. I'm 150 an hour. Buy, you know all this stuff. And that weekend, I had to actually go to a bachelorette party, which that's the worst fucking thing to go to when you're depressed. A bachelorette party, really? You can so, only drink out of so many penis uh, straws. Yes. <laughs> Before it's a little too much. Right. Well, I was at yeah, yeah, exactly. So I went to this um, bachelorette party. Was My friend was supposed to pick me up, and my mom and grandma picked me up in Chicago. And I'm like, why is my mom picking me up and bringing me to Green Bay? Well, my mom picked me up and tried to bring me to a place where they lock you in. I say a lock place. And I was like, um, hell no. You are not locking me up here. So they tried to do an involuntary? Yes, okay. to get me in. So I had Invol- to go in. What do they call it? Involuntary? I don't even know. Uh, some states you can put people in here. You can't. I don't think. Yeah. Unless they. I don't know. This was. Involuntary a, hospital. Something. Yeah. It was yeah. like. It was like a. Not like a psych ward. But like. Yeah. A staying place. I don't even know. Yeah. I remember the lady questioning me. Right then and there. I knew. I mean. I. I was sick. Because I knew how to lie my way out. I have a job back waiting for me. They want you to always have a plan of what you're going to do. I already have a job. My mom was crying. She's like. I don't know what to do. You're. You're taking pills. You're wanting to die. My mom's crying. And I was just like, so? Like, I just... And I said, I'm not staying here. I will not stay here. Why did you not want to get the help? I don't know. I don't know at that point. Because I think I just... I think at that point, I would have rather died than even get help. I didn't want to have to deal with any of it anymore. And I remember going in the bathroom. I dumped out my bag of... Like, I had nuts in a bag. And I put the Xanax I had brought with me in the baggie and, like, shoved it in my underwear because I knew my mom would go through my purse and take anything, any of my meds that she felt were addictive. Like, there was just two, the Xanax and this other, like, anti-anxiety pill. You know, now when I look at that, that's very sick. I was very sick. I mean, to even think that way, to do that, I mean... Yeah. But I couldn't sleep without those pills. So maybe I was, you know, it was, like, a few weeks that I was taking them. And finally, I got back... That's when I tried calling, and I... Calling the boyfriend. No, calling to get help. Oh, calling to get help. Nobody wanted to help me. Okay. I texted the boyfriend, Colton. I said, why are you... He he dropped my key off finally, and the rest of my stuff, and left it outside my door and took off. Didn't even face me. I just Uh kept just saying, tell me to my face you don't love me. And I said, why are you doing this to me? You're killing me. And he texted me, aren't you dead yet? Whoa. And I think There's a court case right now about that. Is there? Yeah, a girl is is being tried because uh, she sent texts like that to her boyfriend who then killed himself. 
wow. Yeah. Uh, that whole night, I guess I talked about wanting to die. Wanting to die. The next morning, she called the police on me before going to work. She had a friend come and get me. I stayed at the friend's house. She, your mother, my roommate. My roommate had a friend come okay. and get me. I stayed at my friend's house. And I lied. This is, I was very sick. I woke up, literally, this was my mind thought. I woke up that morning and I was like, yes, I can't wait to die. I'm going to go to work today. I'm going to go to my co-write. I'm going to go home. I'm going to write my suicide note. My mom's going to call me at around 8 or whatever time. And then I'm going to take all my pills. And you were excited. Oh, I was ecstatic. Yeah. Isn't that, that, this is how weird this is. Yes. Super ironic. I, I don't. The happiest you've been is the. Yeah, it was guy. a false relief. I had this belief that I, I call it walking with the devil, man. I was, I couldn't wait. I could not wait. Unless some car wanted to hit me in between, that would have been fine too. Like that, you know. But, so I did exactly that. I told the police officers that, and they believed me. I, I mean, I was so smart. I knew if you're suicidal, you know, you have to have, you have to have plans to do stuff. So Wait, I knew. What do you mean you told the police officers? I told the police. The police officers came and they said we heard you're suicidal. And I said, well, who told them that? My that girl called on me. Okay. She called them. Yeah. Okay. And she got outside and called them. I was so pissed. I was like, why would you? And so they came in. They're like, we heard you're suicidal. And I was like. You know, I went through a really bad breakup. Um, you know, I was just really upset last night. Yeah, I'm upset, but, you know, I'm going to go to work. I have a co-write this afternoon. I'm going to go out later with my roommate. I don't, it's, it's just disgusting how quick your mind can think when you're at that point because I knew they cannot take me in for anything unless I'm literally telling them that I want to harm myself or somebody else. Right. So they let me go. So I went to work. Um... I took my pills everywhere with me then. That was actually kind of weird because I didn't want anyone touching my pills. So I went to work. Your safety net. Yeah. Your safety Went to work. Mm -hmm. Went to a co-write. So I went home. Um, My roommate tried to get me to go out with her and some friends. And I was like, no, I'm just really tired. I wrote my letter, which was very short. And I'm very, I write a lot of stuff normally, which is not me. And I wrote like, you know, Colton, you win. Um, You win. I think I had just put, because I was thinking of the aren't you dead yet. Um, you know, my parents saw I'm such a failure. Friends, probably similar stuff like that. And at this point, I wasn't answering phone calls a lot. Nothing. You know, I was out of it. And so then my mom called me. And at, I don't remember what time it was. Probably 8. And that's when I just started taking the pills. And I guess she apparently hung up on me because she thought I was taking five pills. And she got pissed at me. So she hung up the phone. But see, I don't remember anything because it put me out so quickly. How many did you take? I don't... It was probably like close to 70, 75. Because I just started taking... Yeah, I just started taking 10 at a time. Wow. What was going through your mind? Nothing. Isn't that crazy? You would have thought like back back when... You were crying and nothing. No. Back then I would have... Back in the day when I would you know, feel like, I just want to die. I was like, oh, but I would be scared. You know, I'd always keep myself from doing anything to me but at this point I mean you had no feeling no none I mean all all I could be was I I couldn't wait to feel nothing you were emptied of the emotion of it I couldn't wait to feel I'm sure I had I was low and depressed that day and I was probably telling my mom again I don't know if I even told her I just wanted to die I don't think I even did because I didn't want to give away any 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 idea what I was doing Right, so you've, you've taken 75, your yeah. mother's hung up on you. Yeah, because she didn't realize, yeah, like, you she know. Didn't know. She didn't know. And got the thing, like, I didn't know any of this until after, okay? my. So what, what I guess eventually happened is my roommate came home to check on me because she said things felt so weird. And she was somewhat tipsy a bit, and she said when she walked in, it just started lightning and thundering out. 
So she went into my room and just said something was really weird and I wasn't moving. And she called the friend where I stayed the night before and said, something's weird. And the friend said, where's her like baggie and stuff? And my roommate said, it's on the floor. It's empty. And she so said, she knew about your Xanax. Right. She said, you need to call 911. She's OD'd. So they called 911. You said you had an out-of-body experience. Yes. So this is where it comes. So they called 911. And all of a sudden, I'm, like, up in the air seeing them working on me. And I can legitly, like, feel them poking my arm, which I hate that. I, that sounds so stupid, but I hate, like, the IV. I hate all that. And I could see it, and I just remember being like, oh, my God, just let me go. Just let me go. Like, I don't want to – I don't know. It was the weirdest thing. It's like I could just see them working on me. And I was like, I just want to go. Let me let me die. And then it went black. I just remember waking up in the hellhole psych ward at Parthenon, which was, like, the worst place in this world. <laughs> How so? Uh, I woke up there. I was pissed that I was still alive. I was so angry. I could not believe it. And I was stuck in this place. So they had pumped your stomach, I guess. I don't even know. I think it was too late. Honestly, it was a miracle I was still alive. I don't know how I survived it. Um, and so I was really mad at God. Like, are you kidding me? I tried it, but I realized I couldn't control anything anymore. I tried to control the very last thing I could, which was my life. And I couldn't even take my own life. Without coming, but you know, I mean, that's where I was. I was like, this is bullshit. Which, so, I mean, it sounds terrible because people fight for their life, right? And here I am being like, are you kidding me? So I woke up, I was quite sick. You know, they take everything. You don't have anything. You can't have anything. I had no really contact with my mom and them because they have to know your room number. I mean, it just, I was on the bottom floor. The TVs didn't even work. There was people talking to themselves. I was legit with people that were out of their mind and the workers treated you like shit like you know you're on this floor and well you chose to do this to yourself it's just shit like that they you know? didn't have any sympathy no none i mean i had a therapist come in that day and then oh well they don't come on the weekends are you kidding me like what i slept i never ate maybe once i ate a cracker within the four four days i was there friday saturday sunday monday yeah um, went to classes one day, never went. I would just stay in my room. They never came to really check on me. Wow. Um, That's some great health care right there. Yeah. That was really good. That was terrible. Never ate. That's the other thing. I'm thinking, why would they... I don't know. I just didn't eat. You know, I just couldn't eat. Uh, one morning I woke up. They gave me, I think it was like a pill, like a tramadol or something for sleep. And I had a severe reaction to it, and I went blind for 10 minutes and was throwing up. And they're like, well, that's, it was the second day there, and they're like, well, that's, that's what you get for um, taking that many pills. You're having a, you're having, um, what is it, withdrawals. And Did I, you report these And things? I was like, I am not having withdrawals. I am, this, I, because they make you get up at like 6.30 to check your vitals, okay? So it's like they yell and wake you up, and you have to go out in like this little, the common area, and get your weight and like your temp and everything and I was out there and all of a sudden I went black and I was like oh my god I lost my vision my vision is gone and the whole night I was like up and I was having heart palpitations and stuff and I was like god this something's not right um and I lost my vision and then I was throwing up over and over and they waited two hours before they got me a shot to put in my butt but it, it was about 10 minutes before I could see again. That was a terrible experience, to be honest. Like The only reason I didn't kill myself, try to kill myself again for probably an entire year to two years was because I didn't want to end up there again. So you did try to kill yourself again? I'm, I wanted to. When I got out, my mom stayed with me for two weeks. And again, she was she didn't know what to do with me. You know, I was going to work, but I had so much anxiety. It was like... 
Oh my God, the anxiety. I have never had anxiety like that. I, I could never breathe. I couldn't, I don't know. I had no more meds. Like, you know, they take you off everything. I just, the anxiety was outrageous. Like I, I would hear something on the radio that would trigger me to think of him or just everything. Like I just, I, I couldn't breathe. I would think I was going to stop swallowing. I would just sit there crying and I was still trying to go about everyday life, writing with people. And you didn't have any outpatient doctor. No. And at this point they were like, well, we're going to get you a therapist. So they send you to the shitty janky place. That's awful. Like just, it was just awful place. They sent me up with a therapist and we just, the, the lady was sweet, but we just didn't connect. It was just like, tell me how you're feeling. And it's like, no, that's not the, you know, those type of people. I mean, I would just sit there and cry. And finally, though, a blessing was because she said, you know, she said to my mom, I think Tanya needs inpatient or like outpatient, like work, but more serious because we're not getting anywhere with this. So my parents had to pull out a loan, a loan to put me in Integrative Life Center, which is right off Music Row. It was like $12,000. Thanks, insurance, for not covering any. <laughs> why, is, why do you think insurance didn't cover it? They don't. They don't. So that pisses me off because... Anyways, so um, I started there. I think it was in October. I started going there. And it was like Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday um, days. From like 10 until 1 or 11, 12, 1 or something like that. I don't know. And it was with all girls. I was in an all-girl group. A lot of people my age, a few in their 30s, 40s, you know, different ages in there but a small group of us. And um, I started going four times a week. That's where we, it really started to, we started to dig. Now I didn't like it. I mean, you do, you like it, but you don't like therapy, right? No, because it's, it's not, I want an instant fix. I want yeah. an instant fix. I have no pills to take. So yes, I mean, in a sense, I guess I was somewhat addictive, but it's not like I couldn't live without them, but I, I wanted anything to just numb to you. numb me. Yeah. I mean, months and months, I would even call my poor Catholic grandma Donna and swear and be like, I hate this. Why? I always had this pain inside me, this aching, this, I mean, I would drive every day and be like, semi, please turn and hit me. Please turn and hit me. Or I'd be driving. I'd be like, oh shoot, I could easily turn right in front of this truck right now. But I didn't want to hurt anybody else. I didn't, that's what, that was my fear. I was like, I don't want to take anyone else's life. I just need to go. Did the integrative solution place help you? It did a lot. Um, what did, how did it help you? We did, it was, it was a very hands-on place. We did a lot of, we almost did stuff with like role-playing where we had to live, people would place, the counselors once they got to know us would have the other members play someone in our life that, like my brother Ryan, someone would play him and say, you're fat and ugly, nobody wants you. And they'd have them say it to you until you could break down, right? So they could get you to get to the point. Then there was Colton being like, aren't you dead yet? And they would do this in such a way. Everybody, yeah, everybody, but everybody would do it like. That doesn't sound healthy to me. Well, no, not that. But they would be like, what do you want to say to Ryan who said this to you? They did so many different things with you. You would have one-on-one once a week with a therapist. And you felt a shift coming. How long were you there? Until the end of January, I think, because, of course, it ran out and I would have had to try to re like very expensive yes yeah one of the biggest issues with again mental illness is there's some sort of thought process where people who don't have depression who haven't been in that situation look at it like you're hungry for attention or you're making it up or you want to just suck it up all this stuff yeah. and even you trying to call mental health professionals saying I need help 
they're saying, oh, well, there's a waiting list or we can't get you in or it has to be two months or, I mean, where is the help? Right. And it's like when you don't have the help, it's like you feel like, okay, my life's not worth living. Right. That makes sense. I mean, it's not even a point of you feeling bad for yourself. It's a point where uh, why I did all of this was because I felt like I was a burden. Honestly, that is why I tried to kill myself. I was causing so much problems for everybody else around me, right? Everybody else had to babysit me or had to worry about me or had to. And I was like, I'm not even worth that. I'm not worth being worried about. And I honestly, when I did it, I was I just said, I, I, I am no longer a burden. I think that was like at, at the end of it. I will no longer be a burden. The first time. Yeah. Yeah. So I only I only tried it. I only literally tried it that one time. Oh, you just contemplated. Yeah. But granted, I didn't feel good. I wanted. It was hard. I didn't. You hadn't changed the way you felt. I mean, yeah. You can't can't just change the way you feel. Right. You were still wanting to not be here, but you were doing all the things. Right. You know, they would give me skills. Each one would separately work with you. You know, try when you start feeling journal. I hated journaling. I still hate journaling. But for some reason. It, it does help, but it's so hard to put your words on paper of how you're feeling. That's something I've realized. I was like, God, I hate this. And they'd always make you journal. And I was like, God, I hate journaling. And I mean, I did participate. I was always the one who'd be like, you know what? You just said piss me off. Like, this was me in the group. So I did actually partake. Like, I did try. I always, I really always did. Because there was one point one of them said to me, do you want to get better? Do you, Tanya? And I thought, are you why the hell would you ask me that? But then I thought, huh, I want to be better, but do I? Like, I'm stuck in this, in playing, in this victim role of like, this is my crutch. And I wasn't stuck there purposely. What, See, what that, is your crutch? Like the depression, just being uh-huh. there, like this depression. But I mean, I didn't want that to be my crutch, but I was stuck there. Mm-hmm. So it, that, that was like, I mean, that pissed me off when they asked me, but I thought, I am stuck. What do I, you know, but I, I, but at the same time, I was like, well, but if I do this, I still feel the same. And after I got out of internal balance, I graduated from that. Um, I started with a therapist they hooked me up with who I'm still with today. Her name's Corey, and she's a DBT specialist, so that's dialectical behavioral therapy. What is that? So that is to keep from going to black to white, to get to meet in the middle. So instead of jumping from one high to one low, we're in the gray area where, where we're meeting and you're more, you're thinking, you know, you're not just jumping off the deep end of like, oh, I can't live anymore, I'm going to kill myself, yeah. right? It's, I can't, I don't want to live anymore, I feel like shit. I hate being here, you know, but what I have to sit with it. A lot of what she would have me do is mind stopping. I would let my mind go over and over again, and then I was missing him, and then I was hating myself. So we would do stuff where I would literally, like if I was at work, I'd be like, okay, now I'm walking to table 46 with a drink. Now I'm taking their order. Now I'm going over here. What I can't think of what this term is called. Okay. We're, you're in the presence, okay, okay. present uh-huh. moment. Uh-huh. And... I'd be like, this does not make me feel good, Corey. And she's like, it's not, if this isn't an instant fix, what this is doing is keeping you from the record player playing in your head. So the more I got to know her, the more she got to know me, the more we worked on skills. And Corey's a very skills before pills person. Granted, she works under a doctor also who's a psychiatrist, but he's the same way because he works with eating disorders and things like that. So I learned a lot of different skills. I was able to have coaching co- calls so every week every day she had from like nine in the morning to nine at night where if you something came up you could call her and you know give her what what do you want from this phone call what are you feeling what 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 are your actions what do you you know what have you done to try to help yourself and she would try to coach you know coach you to try so for to for the first time there's somebody actually on the other end right. of the line yes for you right 
And that, yeah, and I mean, she, she's amazing. Thank you. She's amazing. Like, I, not, I mean, granted, I didn't like her a lot of the times because she would put me in my spot. Sure. Therapy's hard. My gosh. She was so. not, yeah, she was not the type that was like, okay, well, and she'd be like. She wasn't a pushover, in other words. No, but she would challenge me, too. Yeah. And she would be like, well, I want this, you know, I want you to try this. Mm-hmm. Okay. I started therapy with my parents, which, thank God, they were willing to. But, again, it was such, oh, God, I'd go weeks without talking to my mom. I'd get so pissed, we'd argue, I'd hang up on her. You know, just, you know, and I would use that. I wish I was dead. I would use that, again, just because I was, I wanted her to feel bad. And I feel terrible saying that. That's, like, not who I am, but that's where I was at that point. I blamed her for so much, and that's, she always said my whole life, oh, sure, just blame me. It's fine. But, you know, she did apologize. She said, I'm sure I did a lot to you and both boys that I can't take back, and I'm sorry. And so I had to get to a point where I could forgive her you know and it's taken time because at least they you know the thing that still rings in my head to this day is I always feel like I am worth so much money because even in therapy when my parents would come visit or they would do it over the phone which I'm so grateful for but my dad's very blue collar grew up a farmer tough boy well when bad things happen you just move on yeah okay dad I wish I could that's not that's not how I'm programmed like that's not how everybody works same with my mom. Well, you know, there's worse things that happen in life. Like, that was the one of the hardest things to get over is like, wow, I'm a piece of shit because I'm sitting here wanting to die and hating myself when there's kids starving in another country. But are you or are you actually really brave because you went against the party line that was the family? You know? Right. And, and that's where... Corey said, Tanya, you can't compare apples to oranges. Yeah, absolutely not. This, and that's like the first time I actually started thinking. She said, this could be the worst thing for you, just like their child starving could be the worst for them. Mm-hmm. Stop comparing. But see, my whole life it was like, you have a good life. You need to just be this way. You need to be happy. You have a good life. This, yeah. But no, when you have something else going on, like I didn't ask to be depressed. You know, I did everything I could to not be. So for you, it is a chemical imbalance. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Corey, you know, they always say they have to diagnose you. Um, At some point, at one point, they wanted to say I had borderline personality disorder. And I was like, what? And Corey, when I met with Corey, she's like, you don't, you know, you don't have borderline. Like, you're too outgoing. You're too, she's like, I, if I would say anything, I would, it would be like a double depression. You have the chemical and then you have the environmental depression. We just have to figure out how to get the environmental under control. Mm -hmm the surroundings, the people, Mm -hmm. you know, get your power back. And so, um, I ended up being in an eating disorder program then. Well, you had said that you had had issues with that. Yeah. Well, I finally, I finally went in one for eight months. Um, and that was literally four times a night where we had to eat mindful eating with Mm -hmm. other, all these other females. Um, you say it, you say that. Oh God, I hated it. Yes. I hate it. I was like, I was like, I literally was like, Corey, why am I here? I'm the chubbiest one. And she's, you know, this is in the group because she was a teacher one night. We had three different teachers, so we'd always got different teachings, which was great. Again, and they would always say, "That's this isn't. It's not about. It doesn't matter if you're skinny or big. It's the mindset." Yeah. And um, you know that act that class actually really helped me. Again, it was another therapeutic. We would do arts art stuff on Thursday nights to relate to therapy. We would do some intense stuff, you know. I was grateful to Integrative Life because they really pushed the limits with you. They really pushed the buttons to get you to realize what was causing problems. Like, what, which, why are you feeling What's like you... What's your trigger? Yeah, why are you... 
what is it? You know, I was so sick of people asking me about my gosh darn family, like my childhood. What the hell does that have, you know, the whole time I was like, why are we on this? This isn't the situation. Oh, but the, isn't it? Right. I was like, <laughs> the issue is this asshole ex who now is with this other woman that, you know, and it was always, like, what am I? And then, after, you know, I mean, integrative really brought out that the family issue. Yeah. And then Corey, who had worked at Integrative at one point, that's why they were like, you're perfect. Like, this was a blessing for them to hook me up with her. Yeah. And so she really put, you know, we got in, you know, she took me on and we pressed that issue a lot. And, and how long have you been seeing her? So I've been seeing her literally since, well, probably the end of January of 2013. So three, three years. years. So where did you turn the corner to um, to start helping other people? Because you do outreach, right? Right. So I met a woman at NSAI. Um, her name is Cherie when she was still there. Love Cherie. Yes. I know her. She's amazing. She's Talk about a beam of light. Oh, my gosh. Right? Yeah. You know, Cherie's a very intuitional person, and she just looked at me. And I was, I mean, I was beaten down. I'm sure I looked like shit. I tried to hide it, but... And she was like, you know, the person sitting across from you has gone through stuff, too, that a lot of people don't know about. So I, I, something about, you know, you're not alone. And I think she gave me her phone number and said, if you ever, you know, if you want to need anything, call me. And I was like, I, you know, I don't remember exactly, but I was like, well, this is strange. Like, wow. Okay. So I think I, I reached out to her and I started helping her with some events. And then what she had me start doing was coming out to her house where she worked out of when she started her new company and mm -hmm. she would have me call members and encourage them nice and love on them yeah because she said people need that and I thought I look, I'm thinking god that was really smart of her because that's what people with depression need to do is reach out right you know you need to almost call or talk to other people or just stuff like that so during that time I was doing that and I wasn't getting paid but I would go out there so and you were calling people and saying, you're doing a good job. Yeah. Going. Hey, how's it going? All the stuff What's you going on? would have really needed to hear. Right. Suddenly you got to say to others what you needed to hear yourself. Right. Were you hearing it yourself while you were saying it? Slowly. Yeah. Um, you know, at that point I was always late getting to her house. I was always sleeping in. Um, but she didn't give up on me. And you know what? There was, there was people, everybody told her, don't. Not everybody, but, you know, you hear stuff and people did say, you know, she's, she's crazy. You don't want to deal with her. But Cherie saw my spirit, you know, she saw that I was, I had a good heart and then I was down that I just, I, I was broken. It started to get better. You know, I don't even know when, because I was just literally counting the time. Like, come on, next day, next day, next day. So let's get back to the, um, Oh, Cherie. So, yes. Yeah, okay. So, so I went with Cherie. So Cherie. I don't know how we got onto the topic. Um, we started become getting closer and stuff like that. And I, I was with a, a friend one day, and he came up with this idea. He's like, "Oh, that'd be cool." Like dark city. We were talking. I'm like, "Oh, dark city light. You can't have a dark city with light." And I was like, "You know, God, you kept me here for a reason, obviously. So maybe I'm here to sh to help others." And Wait, hold on. I'm, I'm confused. He came up to you and talked about it. Oh no, I had a friend. We were talking about stuff about me. I was like, you know. Maybe one day I was talking with a friend of mine. I was like, you know, maybe I could speak or do something with this. I mean, if I'm still here, what the hell am I doing with my life? I mean, obviously people can relate to me because I think I would talk to people. Not that I told everybody. It's not like I was like, hi, I tried yeah, yeah, killing myself. Sure. <laughs> but people would be like, wow, that's awesome that you're getting help. And I thought, 
okay, maybe I can do something. So I think I approached Sheree with the idea, and she's like, that would be awesome. She's like, this will be part of your healing process. So um, I just started doing, like, minor, like, building it up, thinking, like, what can I do? What can I talk about? I mean, to be honest, it took me a long time to even get anywhere because I wanted to avoid I don't know you know when you're you just kind of really putt putt when you're there it just was literally I was healing I wasn't sure he never rushed me but it's like she could see me it was taking time you know stuff like that so finally we just talked and I was like all right we, we just came up with stuff over time and I was like I'm gonna do this dark city light you can't have a dark city with light so that's kind of cool because it's contradicting so that's your idea dark yeah city so it's like okay. so dark city light like right. this is cool and she was like yeah that's great and she's like, you should do something with all your cheetah stuff. You always sign your signature with a paw print. And and we started to come up with, like, PAWS, P-A-W-S, Positive Affirmations Wipe Out Suicide. And I was like, wow, that's really, you know, cool. And then my motto, don't cheetah yourself out of a great life, because everybody calls me a cheetah, cheetah all the time. I'm like, God, this is great, corny, but it's so me. People will understand this. Yeah. And so then I finally was getting my, my material together, and I was like, you know, I'm going to just, I can go speak in... I can, you know, I mean, it was nerve-wracking. You know, Sheree would give me the boost and the encouragement and stuff. And finally, she was like, you know, girl, you're if you feel ready, like, you know, get out there. She connected me with one of her members of Global, my friend Allie, who became a very good friend, who was a teacher at Glencliff, still is a teacher for high school. And she connected me with her. And I we put together a program with her dance class and her Spanish class. This was the first program I even did. So, I mean, I went in, I spoke to her students, like three different classes, Mm -hmm. and then I worked with them for a few weeks. And we put together like a dance from moving from darkness to light that we were going to put on for the school. So I kind of helped them. They had heard my story, and we put on this program that we did in front of the school. So it was actually the first official Dark City Light program combined with Allie's class. But it was like we did this whole write-up, like Dark City Light, Ignite Your Light put my bio in there I mean literally I was thrown to the I was thrown to the lions but like for someone like me and I almost think sometimes with people that kind of suffer with depression or stuff like that sometimes you got to get just get your ass kicked to be honest like for me for me this is what I've noticed like I just gotta get my ass kicked otherwise I'm gonna I'm gonna putt 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 I just gotta go like even I mean I had it planned but still you just gotta go with it but you know the students were like oh you guys sounded good but you don't get all this feedback well one night I was at a hockey game like three months later and this boy said to me, he was passing out funnel cakes. He said, hey, I know you. And I said, oh, really? He goes, you spoke at my school. Uh-huh. You were great. Thank you. Aww. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Like, just just even that little bit was Amazing. like, great. He remembered me because I got to this point where I wanted to save everyone, but I can't. But I know, like, if I can help one person, that's, that's what I want to do. Because this whole thing is healing for me. I mean, talking on it sometimes is hard. I get emotional because I I think like how could I hate myself so much you know and it's like it's just upsetting is that something you're still dealing with it's you know it's I'm at it a lot better than where I was it's something I think I struggle with because with depression it's not like oh it's just gone it's like a daily thing but I have my vision board with my positive affirmations for myself that I read off every night morning Or, like, if during the day I'll just be like, if I'm not feeling good enough, I am good enough. Now, granted, I don't 
this doesn't solve everything again it's not it's just like therapy but over time if you reprogram your mind which is what I've been doing these past three years was understanding what are my issues first of all because you can't reprogram unless you know what you're reprogramming mm-hmm. you know I didn't even realize how awful I was to myself right and still can be because that's such a pattern I've done my entire life I'm fat I'm this. It's so easy to say that stuff and when you say it you know you, you believe, believe it, it. <laughs> and then you yeah. can't just say I'm pretty no like that that does, just doesn't come instantly it's got to be over time mm-hmm. looking in the mirror and saying it I mean it took me a while to do that you know now I'm to the point where I'm working on my website I spoke at more schools um, you know I get a lot of great feedback of course there's the students that you know may not want to listen but I, I don't know I just know that if you know, I'm there for a reason for some people to listen to. The last school I was at, it was great. I this I remember this one girl came out after. Very, she seemed very, you know, she was in all the sports and everything, and she talked to me and eventually came out about how she cuts. And she didn't want to tell me. She didn't trust me. She, didn't, You know, it just was that weird thing. But because I think I had shared my stuff with them, not, you know, like, in de- you know, mm-hmm. she felt comfortable enough to tell me, I cut myself. I can't wear shorts because I cut myself. You know, and... My goal then is not to be a therapist. It's to direct them in the right direction of getting help. Did she get help? She was talking to the therapist, but here's the issue. Her parents, my parents already know I cut, and they told me that there's nothing wrong with my life. So, it's yeah. it, And I, I just said to her, I said, listen, you don't, If what's, what's the outcome if you keep cutting? You're going to cut too deep, aren't you? And she said, I know, but I'm addicted to it. I said, well, that's good that you noticed that. I said, but girl, you're going to college soon. And I said, trust me, this, it gets harder. It gets harder. It's stressful. It's, you know, you're trying to be this perfect person. And I just, I just kept encouraging her as much as I could to try to get help with the therapist. The therapist knows. But at the school, if they know you cut, they call the parents. And the parents don't like that. So I just encouraged her as much as I could to even if she could get help somewhere else, like, you know, I, I I just have to be careful, you know, and things like I I can't I can't be a counselor to him because that's not what I'm re- I'm not qualified for sure. that, and that's not what I want. Right. But I want people to know that it's okay to talk about it and yeah. to get help, and I don't want them to end up where I did, like in the psych ward at all. What do you think is still the biggest misconception about depression? That that, that people oh have? gosh. What really pisses me off about that is when people say we're negative. When they, they group that as being a negative person or somebody that just wants attention, there's a difference between negative people and people that are depressed. I hate that they say that we do it uh, for attention. People around us all the time are suffering with Absolutely. with depression. with Secretly. Yes. I mean, yeah. some of the most macho men or whoever suffer with it, you know, and I think it makes me someone easy to talk to about it. I, you know, um, people, I'm empathetic towards it. You know, people I, are very scared when you say I'm depressed. I think it, it ripples out. It makes people very afraid. They don't yeah. know how to be around you. They don't know, you know, what to say. They don't. Yeah, they don't. And, and, and again, like, I didn't like a lot of people for a while because they dropped me. But I realized. Some people have to protect themselves, too. And they can't put themselves in a situation where someone's low because it might draw them down if they've suffered before. It might be a trigger. It might be a trigger. Yeah. It might be, 
you know, maybe they just need to be selfish to take care of themselves. So what do you, what do you, where do you want Dark City Light to go? What's your future outlook on this? So my future plan is just to speak to all different ages, all different groups. I want to speak, you know, it's about sculpting it around who I'm speaking to. I want to speak to veterans. I want to speak to The veteran suicide rate is awful. Oh, awful. awful. It's awful. awful. It's off the charts. When I talk to veterans that have such bad PTSD that want to, I mean, that come home and kill themselves because they come home in our world and our world says, well, you know, that's unacceptable, especially for a man. You should be strong and they come home and have a family and feel like a failure. You know, I mean, we don't like that. That's the thing. Like, you don't know what's going through people's minds. Our world has made us be so closed off and not talk about that because if you talk about it, you're negative or you're weak or you're... You know, and I want to enforce, you're not weak. Like, I love Demi Lovato for the fact that she fights in the government because she's out, you know, was a cutter. She's bipolar. She wants them to address issues with with mental illness. You know, I mean, and it's... Well, it's a major issue in our country. As I said before, mental illness is so largely ignored. It's vilified. It's managed with drugs and not getting deep into the issue that... Um, that yeah. is causing the depression or I mean in some cases you know from what I've read and having it been in my own life in various degrees between friends and family and having my own stuff sometimes you can't you cannot unchemical the chemical part of it there's, there's it's just the way you are it's the way you were made and so yeah. drugs are what's going to keep you my mother for example she has to take medication in order to keep her on on that straight line. It's not even a straight line. It's <laughs> Yeah, why what straight line? <laughs> it's yeah. a bit of a crooked <laughs> road, you know. And and so and there's so many variables, but I think because we're silenced by it when in reality we should be shouting from the rooftops. Yeah. We need to help each other. But instead, you know, it's the dark secret in the dark corner underneath the elephant. <laughs> right yeah, right. It's like that awkward <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, yeah, what, what, how did you reach help? How did you? Well, I, for me, I get moments where I get very dark and, uh, and very, um, like you were describing without feeling where you think, oh, maybe if I just drive off this cliff or maybe if some car veers off and it's intellectual for me, it's not, I don't cry. I don't lash out at anyone. It's not like that for me personally. And it doesn't happen super often, but I would say... But it does, though. But it does happen, right. And so, and in my experience, I had a... Uh, right around when Robin Williams killed himself, actually, um, which was really strange for me, because I love Robin Williams. And me too. It was really devastating. Me too. And one of the thoughts I had was, he's so brave that he was able to do it. And I said that to my roommate, who immediately panicked thinking, you know, my roommate at the time, she panicked. She called my boyfriend at the time. She called my best friend. She's like, oh my God, she's talking crazy. And I, and I was talking about being in this dark place and without feeling and, you know, blah, 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 and all this stuff. And she didn't know how to handle that. So she called these people who would call me. My boyfriend at the time, his response was, oh, you know, life is great. Life is awesome. I was like, fuck you. <laughs> you know? And my friend at the time, you know, my best friend who is my, you know, still my best friend, she's like, are you okay? What's going on? I don't understand what's happening. 
she loved me regardless, you know. And I said, I can't really truly explain what this is because I don't know myself. But intellectually, I know that in another week or so it will be gone. And I've always been able to do that. I know there are many people that are not able to do that. I get, you know, I work myself to death because I love working and I love all the things that I do. And so I overachieve, as you were speaking, the overachievement thing. And then you hit a wall and you're exhausted. And then your brain just sort of goes like, why am I doing this? What's going on? What's the point? The world's falling apart. Who cares? And that's a really weirdly... Even saying it's a dark place isn't even... It's like just a no man's land for me personally. And I get frustrated, as you do, when I hear it being vilified. I think there's such a lack of empathy for people in general, in the world, period, for all people. And that's part of the, the reason why I wanted to do this podcast was because I feel like if a person hears somebody who's going through something, maybe instead of going... Uh, they should just get over it. They're like, well, holy shit. Like that, what you just talked about. Maybe they'll right, say, right, yeah. oh, wow, I didn't realize that that's what it was like. Or that sounds horrible. And have some empathy for five minutes instead of just judging it. Well, I and mean, it's like, especially people who knew me, who know me or who did know me, they're like, oh my God, they were shocked. Tanya tried to kill herself. Sure. She was, you know, love, was friends with everyone, was always helping people, you know, and it's just, and I think there's a there's a sliding scale to depression. Like, when I have gone into my dark places, it's not out of self-loathing. No. It's never really... Maybe not when I was a teenager. Right. Maybe you know, a little bit that, poor me, but then it's know, not. Back like, then, it was... And I had a very contentious relationship with my mother as a child. So, you know, I was playing out all that stuff. Um, so maybe back then, it was the self-loathing aspect. But as an adult... It isn't. And I've, again, I've been in therapy for years and years and years. And uh, it's, it's, a, it's a lifetime of, of, it's a lifetime's journey. Maybe not every year you go or even, you know, every two years. But if something triggers you, you're like, oh, I guess I need to get back in there, get back on the horse. But, yeah, there's, there's such a scale to depression. Some people, they sleep for days on end. Mm-hmm. Some people, they get real drunk. For days on end. Some people do drugs. Some people have sex. Some people eat. Yep, they, Some device. people don't do anything and they just live with it. And they live at this weird sort of no man's land, you know. And the thing is, is it's it's an issue that so many people have and there's so much shame around it that nobody's getting the help, you know. Yeah. And then there's not enough help and everything's so expensive because insurance won't deal with it. It's just, it's, yeah, you're right. I mean, I guess my goal is I, I just. To have a voice. I mean, I really appreciate that you have a voice that you're getting out there, that it's, it has been a journey and a half for you, clearly. I mean, you've lived many lifetimes (laughs) in one lifetime and it's not easy, you know, and you're brave as shit, man. Seriously, I'm and trying. even coming on the podcast, I'm trying. It's I just, great. It's great. You know, and yeah. people are so judgy about it that even you know, there's that moment like, oh, do I say? Yeah. You know, I have the other podcast where I'm calling from with Kathy, and she and I talk about this stuff a lot. You know, um, and just about how people have that moment where like, oh, do I say something? But if you say something, suddenly somebody else might go, oh, yeah, well, I feel that too sometimes. Yeah. And then in that, we become 
we become human beings again. Yeah, we open ourselves. Yeah. But you're creative, you you know, you paint and you sing and you write and you do all this stuff. I mean, is there a fine line between creativity and madness, perhaps? Right, yeah, I I don't... And and that's okay. I mean, it is what it is. There's... How do you judge something like that? It just... It is. That's the thing. It is, and and that's the thing, like, when I... I just want people to understand that this... It's a journey, just like you said. Like, you have your days. We all have our days. Mm -hmm. But it's about learning... What can I do for myself? How can I take care of myself? Because I feel like a lot of us who are creative or depressed or whatnot, we always want to help others first because it's our way of getting outside of ourselself. But really, how... how you well, know, and I'll, as Kathy, our friend Kathy, likes to say, the underdog you're fighting for is you. Right. And, and so yeah. you're, you're helping other people because in a way, by helping them, you're also healing yourself in, in small steps. Because you, you and I are, we are the same person. You know, you have a different story. I have a different story. Right, right. But the bottom line is, we're both human beings trying to get through this life, mm-hmm. whatever that means for us individually. But together. So if I reach out to you and say, "How may I help you today?" I'm saying it to myself too. Right. Yeah. That's what empathy is. That's what support is. That's what love is. And I wish to God that more people were like that so kudos to you for being brave enough to reach out because that girl who cuts herself you know she may not do it this week she may not do it next week but eventually maybe she's gonna say hey i need to get some help for this or if she'll go to somebody Mm -hmm. you know or the kid that you ran into that's dealing you know serving maybe maybe it'll trigger something i said and he'll remember it in years to come when he's having a hard time maybe he already was having a hard time and the only way he knew how to thank you was just to say thank you right and it's that's the thing it's like now it's not even for that it's just i i just feel so strongly drawn to you know helping others and for me like i said it's a healing process because i have to do the work too yeah. I can't just preach and say, say your positive affirmations or do this. Like, right. no, because if I don't do it, I mean, I will literally tell them sometimes I hate them. Sometimes I have those times where I don't want to look at The work my, is hard. Yeah, I don't want to look at myself in the mirror and say yeah. it. I don't want to believe it that day. The work is hard, but it's so worth it, man, getting to the other side. And sometimes you're always getting to the other side. Just trying to hold on to, to knowing that things pass. Those feelings will like you said you know by next week you will be okay but when you're in that dark spot man it's hard to remember you, that. I, uh, it is you don't see the light you don't see that light at the end of the tunnel and, but when you've done the work yes. it's a lot easier to see the to light start seeing it and, and even if you don't see the light to know that the light is out there somewhere and you eventually are going to stumble and upon some it. yes and there's other people that are you know depression that's the thing it locks you in i'm the only one feeling this way I'm the only one who nobody likes, or I'm the you know sure. I'm not talented. I'm the only one. That's a trap. That's the darkness trap of making you feel like you're the only one suffering while everybody else is <laughs> living their life with their Facebook posts of like I have the best you know shit like that. And then you're right. you know that's not, it's so not true. That's yeah. the, that's a big lie right there. Everybody suffers. Everybody with suffers. something. We are all we are all just trying to get through, man. Just chugging along, just living chugging. that dream. That's right. <laughs> Living the dream. Serving taco salsa and chips. Oh, do you work at a... At Chewy's. Oh, that's yeah. good food. That's one of the places I work. Chewy's. I love that food. That's good. 
but it's it's through my you know people ask me what I do and this is another like confirmation I'm doing what's right is because people will ask me and I'll say I do a suicide awareness program and they'll say oh my mom killed herself mm. and I'll be like I need to speak for your mom mm-hmm. Amen, sister. I need to be the voice mm-hmm. and they'll say you know why, why do you do it? I'll explain. You know, a little bit of it. Was it personal? Was it a family? And I'll say it was me, but, you know, this is how I can give back. I can help people. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're still here, girl. Thanks. I really am. I, I'm finally at a point where, yeah, I can say that, too. I'm like, all right, I got I got work to do. Loving myself and helping others out. Amen. Thank you. Thank you Thank so you. much for talking today. Thank you. Yay. Mm. And say one more time your your cause. Uh, my your, my program. Your program. My program is called Dark City Light, and the website will be coming up soon. Yay. <laughs> <laughs>